everyone. Welcome back to second episode of Jungle Talk, hosted by myself and Twinkle. Today, we are joined by OG Kong's member, Council for ACYC. Nate, how you doing? Uh, good, good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for finding an interest in me and thinking that we'd have a good hour together. You're actually one of the most highly requested when we announced Jungle Talk, so no problem at all. Um, we normally just start with an introduction, like how you get into crypto, how you got into the space, basically the story of where you started and how you got to where you are now, if you want to um, shed some light on that. Yeah, um, been in crypto for, God, so long that I'm actually having to validate the years. Uh, a little bit, of, a little bit over five years. Uh, just about, just about five years. I got in uh, late 2017 with a lot of other people. Uh, first time Bitcoin really, really made the news. It was pushing 20k. Uh, people were talking the same prices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And at the time, I was uh, looking online, like you know, how are people making money? How are people become millionaires? And all I could all I could read about was real estate investing and crypto. Uh, Jumped into a cryptocurrency subreddit, started learning more and more about it. Christmas Day, I put in my first $500. Uh, two days later, it's worth $2,700. Uh, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. This is where I'll make life-changing money. So that's where I got into crypto. Uh, for anybody who knows the story of 2018, shortly after then, I gave the I gave a pretty a, a timeline for anybody who was there at the time to understand exactly what type of person I was. Uh, I got in, you know, right as everyone was making the noise, I made some money. Uh, I did take profits. Uh, I have a history in MMORPGs, uh, you know, just giant interactive communities online as games, uh, most notably RuneScape. I was a merger, a flipper, a trader, everything. So I understand what it means to secure the profit. Uh, so the beginning of 2018 or the end of 2017, I'm securing profit. Uh, and... I just watched, I watched Bitcoin and Ethereum go from $20,000 and I believe at the time about twelve or $1,300 for Ethereum go all the way down to $6,000 for Bitcoin and something very low for Ethereum. And I'm like, wow, this is actual incredible volatility. Like this is insane. This is where I want to be for, you know, the rest of my working days. Uh, and so since uh, you know, at the end of 2017 to now, I've been actively trading crypto for oh, going on four years. Uh, you know, this has been like the longest point of my life. And uh, that brought me into NFTs ultimately. Uh, Twinkle Toes is actually here uh, where IRL friends. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I just want to add to that, actually. So we are in, in real life friends and we both entered at that start of the ICO stage. I remember the first uh, coin you were telling me all about was Nano, actually, in that one. That yeah, one was Rye, one, one that really pumped at the time. Rybox. Uh, Rybox, Nano. Yeah. Oh, uh, but, of course, I got in a little bit after you, which is right, right when that, uh, that time uh, everything was starting to actually crash. There was one, one good day of pump, and then uh, your bags were down 90%. But uh, I just want, uh, I just remember at the time I, I was... I was a little of my feelings that uh, we lost so much money, but you were actually still trading the highs and the lows, and you were you were really spending that time developing your trading skills, while a lot of people kind of just gave up. 
Yeah, that's pretty much the story of me. Uh, a lot of expensive lessons back there. Uh, you know, people would buy and hold or they try to get some more money on their side and add to their position, aka the DCA. Uh, but for me, it was if I'm down on this position, I don't think it can go up. I need to cut it and find somewhere else to put the money. Uh, and that's kind of like what my philosophy was back then. And for anybody listening back then, when we were talking about nano rye blocks, uh, we're talking about a token and this is, this is indicative of everything. Like every token, if you spent the time and looked back at the charts back there for anything that got millions of dollars of volume a day, most of them went from insane numbers, like a hundred K market caps to in nano's case, it went from a hundred thousand dollar market cap to a four billion dollar market cap in three months. 100K to 4 billion. That is a 4,000 4, X, 10, 100, uh, thousand. No, that is a 40,000 X. It's that is a, four, a large number. <laughs> it's, it's a 40,000 X, which is incredible. Um, and we're not talking pump and dumps. Like we're talking 20, 30, 40 million dollars. Even actually at the top, it was hundreds of millions of dollars of volume. Like there was exit liquidity for that. I remember for the first time I was coming in, we're on all the forums people were posting on uh, Reddit and stuff of, you know, oh, I love you guys. This has been a crazy year or three years of my life. I finally have a million dollars from trading. I'm going to secure it and buy the dream home I've always wanted. And that's the first look at euphoria I got back in the day. But uh <laughs> that's that's where I was brought in. Twinkle Toes, uh, you know, as as I was just saying, was uh is an IRL friend. And so I was still trading the meme coin season uh this you know these last two years while Elon has been mentioning Doge and all the other ones have popped up. I was actively trading those seasons and Twinkle Toes comes to me and said, Hey, I was listening to some podcasts, NFTs. I'm like, what, what? He's like, it kind of sounded like Gary V to me. He's like, NFTs, you got to look at <laughs> NFTs. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like NFTs, like crypto, I'm trading crypto. And he's like, no, NFTs, like they're these things, you own these pictures and you own the art, but nobody else can own the art because you own it and it's, it's verified on the blockchain. I'm like, dude, wow, that, that's incredible. Uh, and so one day, and th- uh, this is the exact timeline, this will tie back into Kong's like, one day I'm like, all right, Twinkle, I'm actually going to take a look. I'm, I'm going to take a break from these charts and I'm going to look at NFTs. Uh, and so I go look at Rarible and I look at, I think, Known Origin, uh, Super Rare, all these exchanges. And I'm like, gosh, I get it. I really do get it. Uh, I get this NFT thing. Like, yeah, these pictures. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm not an artist and I don't think there's a flippers territory here because all the exchanges at the time had like a 10%. So some of them were ridiculous. Some artists would set like 30% secondary sales fee. And on Rarible, you could actually do something where the first time it sells, there's a 10% fee. The second time it sells, there's a 20%. And they would make it so you couldn't trade hands. And I was like, there's there's not a flipper's market here. I can't do this. Uh, and then... Honestly, I'll just get right into it. That's how I found Kongs. So one day I'm looking through all these artists. I'm like, these artists are kind of cool, whatever. Uh, I think I bought like a couple things just for fun. Cause I'm like, God, oh, they're kind of cool. I'm going to grow my collection. And one day I'm looking at the activity feed back then when, you know, stuff wouldn't, I, it, there were no bots auto bidding. There were no bots auto listing. 
the activity feed was just humans interacting. And I see on uh, OpenSea that this guy is creating all these monkeys of different variations. And at the time, I'd already seen CryptoPunks, but to me, CryptoPunks were, you know, I the first time I saw CryptoPunks, I was like, yeah, these things, uh, I don't know. They look a little weird. I wouldn't rock it as a profile picture. And then I saw these 2,000 monkeys being minted. Uh, they weren't listed for sale originally uh, at, at the exact time, but I was like, whatever that is, I need it. Uh, and it said on the picture, it's like uh, 42 hours until these will be listed for 0.01 ETH. And I set a, I set a, a, an alarm. I went through all 1,000 of them and I picked out my top 20. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did uh, take off an extra hour or two at lunch uh, that day so that from, from my work so that I could get the Kongs I wanted. <laughs> I thought they were going to sell out so quick. And back then, a thousand piece collection was so large. Uh, and that's kind of like my introduction to crypto and NFTs, crypto through trying to make a bunch of money. NFTs through Tinkle Toes recommendation of checking out NFTs. I would have made my way there, but I don't think I would have made my way in time to get the Kongs I did early. I would have missed Kongs. I would have 100% missed Kongs. I would have been here for Bordic Yacht Club and not Kongs. How much do you think your philosophy trading crypto translated to trading NFTs? Is, it, is there much similarities? Yeah, I think that's why since the beginning I've been so successful. Um, I've made, I, I like to make a lot of friends when I enter something new. So I'm crypto, I had friends, NFTs, I have friends. It's a lot easier in NFTs to make friends than crypto. But back then when I was starting out, obviously I started out on NFT Twitter, uh, which I don't even know if a lot of people in NFTs knew to go to Twitter for an interaction space. Uh, I, I was just there because of NFT crypto. Um, and I made a lot of friends with people who started trading around I did. And back then, if you bought, you know, a good amount of stuff, very cheap, because a lot of stuff was cheap. You could just keep buying stuff and hold. And at some point in the next three, six, 12 months, you would have a lot of money. Uh, but I outperformed pretty much anybody I knew back then. And I went to NFT Miami and a couple of people I, I knew from like the very beginning, we were all talking. And back then I had like 400 followers on Twitter, maybe less, maybe 200. And people didn't know my background in trading because I used kind of like a fresh account at the, in a way it was my, my Twitter account was created in like 2018. Uh, it was my backup to my real crypto Twitter trading account. And I had a telegram group of like a hundred people and we would trade for days and days and years. Um, but when I went to NFT Twitter, uh, I kind of just listened to everybody and made friends with people and discord and stuff of that nature and kind of made it, made a name that way. And then when we're looking back and I'm talking to people from the beginning, they were like, dude, every time that somebody was accepting a bid for something super nice, super low, it's going to you. And like, it doesn't matter what collection, because at the moment, if there was volume, at the time, if there was volume, I was trading it. Just kind of like how people are now, where if a new collection drops, they trade the reveal, they trade the pre-reveal, they do the quick little flips. That was me at the beginning. Uh, and Nate, I want to add to that too, because I I feel like you were the first person that I saw actually creating that arbitrage in the space of NFTs, really finding those ways, especially in OpenSea, how to like exploit, not exploit, but find those ways to make that difference by bidding and, and then selling for the actual floor price and using people's emotions to actually profit off of it. Yeah. Yeah. At the time there, there was, uh, auto bid bots, 
Um, it, so the most notorious was Doge Master 69420. He actually had bid bots. I never had a bid bot. What I would do is try to read somebody through their actions. So I would use information. This is kind of how I traded crypto. Use as much information as you can get. So when I'm going out and I'm bidding, I'm looking at recently listed for collections because that means if someone recently listed it, they've recently thought about selling that piece. And then I go and I look at how much they bought it for. And if somebody bought it very, very low, uh, and they've been fire auction listing, listing it. So, you know, dropping 10, 20% every few hours, then I just bid what I think it'll end at. Uh, so I used a lot of information available to me to make as much as possible. Uh, so yeah, <clears throat> crypto without crypto, I would have came into NFTs, still made money, but I would not be at the place I am today in any way, shape or form. And honestly, maybe, I don't know, I wouldn't have given up, but crypto really, really, really taught me how to get hit in the face and keep moving. Uh, I, I, the extreme volatility you know, it, it's not something where, and this is why if any of my friends ask me if I, they should get into trading, I'm like, absolutely not. Uh, maybe you just listen to somebody like me who tells you maybe what to look at, but never try to trade on your own. Never try to make a decision because you will stay up all night thinking if that's the right decision. You'll wake up in the morning, check price, see if price, you know, validates your decision. You'll wonder how to get all these mass, like you'll make profits over the course of a week or two. And then one day something happens, boom, all profits erased and you're, you're at square one. Uh, it's just a bunch of get the shit kicked out of you in crypto. Why do you uh, think it is that you flourish off the volatility, whereas it's one of the biggest barriers for entry for people to get into crypto? Because I knew when I was feeling sick that other people were feeling sick. And I knew if I could like pick myself up and look at what's happening in the face and act upon it, then I'll make money while others look away. I think others, other people would either look away and, you know, hodl and hope, hope it rebounds or hope that, you know, what, even if, even if you're on a moon mission, a lot of people will hold a bag. Their, their thing will go to the moon and they won't take profits. Uh, they'll, they'll just keep holding whatever, <laughs> whatever they bought. Uh, and it's just all emotion. So I just, you know, as much information available to me as possible. Uh, I just don't think people want to, want to learn it. And also the ability to tell yourself like what you did wrong and owning your mistakes is a big one. Like if I make a trade and I lose it and I think it's going to go up 50% and it actually ends up going down 20%. I need, I, I could just shrug it off and move to the next trade. But if I don't look back and like be honest with my exact self about why I was wrong in this situation, then I, it, it's the worst money ever lost because I'll probably end up losing it the same way. Uh, <clears throat> so a lot of people can't like be honest with themselves. And, you know, most people would say the markets are manipulated. It's kind of like gambling. Like if you're going out gambling and you say, Oh, the dealer, you know, dealer might be cheating or dealer has an advantage. But like reality, I'm sure, you know, there's no actual cheat. There's no actual advantage. There might be slight odds, but at the end of the day, it's what can you do to better yourself? And dude, like, you know, I'm pretty desensitized from money at this point in a way. Uh, even back then, like back then, 
starting out in crypto trading, if like I, like I said, I put in $500, next thing I know, it's $2,700. Um, if that went back down to 500, like, like a few, a few days after watching it go to 2,700, I'd be upset. I would be like, okay, I just, you know, technically lost unrealized gains, $2,300. Like, wow, that's like, you know, a, a month and a half of work. Like I just lost a month and a half. That's like what someone's salary is for then, for that, for that period of time. So how, how do you think it's changed like your outlook on life now? being desensitized to money in the situation you're in has it changed like drastically no not not drastically uh i don't come from i i come from parents you know who are secure and i'm secure and i've always had like the little cushion behind me uh but it's never been any allowance or any we'll pay for this i've always kind of you know supported myself however i could uh and you know i I, i've had good jobs i've had good everything stuff of that nature but um, at this moment, I've always known the worth of a dollar. And so if I lose money, I know that I felt even better making money. So I never like to take like, let's say I had like a million dollars or something. I would never want to spend half of that. I don't want to see half of that go. I want it to be with me forever. Like I want that money. So I don't really splurge. I don't really do much. What I do do is, uh, spend money on the things that matter to me on a daily basis. So like a nice car uh, or a comfortable car, AKA Tesla, uh, you know, a good phone, a good bike, uh, stuff of that nature, just stuff that you're going to use and you want to be good value. I don't splurge on like washes or anything like that. Like no IRL versions of a board ape yacht club. I don't, I don't flex. Uh <laughs> <laughs> But I do remember from 2018, uh, just to cut all the extra noise out, I ended up getting to $50,000 at one point. So $500 to $50,000 after a lot of trading. And it went back down to $500. That's not a joke. I took out, I took out a good amount. Not enough, not a lot, like not 5,000. So, you know, five, 50, and this is like not an exaggeration, 50,000 back down to 500 over the course of a year. Uh, I was holding at that point very degen, all in gamble shit coins. And so they did go back up. But I remember when, and this is something that like, <clears throat> that has taught me taking profits. When I had 50,000, I was like, all right, sweet bet. I'm going to buy this nice car. I didn't buy the nice car. Sweet bet. I'm going to take this cool vacation. Didn't take the cool vacation. Uh, now this time around, I'm taking money off the table. It's secure. It's in stables. Uh, but I'm still playing with a good portion. So it's leave a, leave a dollar, take two. There's, there's probably loads of people in the exact same scenario now. If you think about, you could, a lot of people would have turned $600 into, I don't know, like a doodles price now, which is basically 50K. What, what kind of advice would you give having gone from 500 to 50 back down to 500? Yeah. And so to be honest, it's actually more incredible than that, I believe. Uh, there's a lot of people who have turned a thousand into a hundred thousand. There's a lot of people who have turned a thousand into a million. Uh, you see those Twitter threads on, uh, Twitter all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're all going to like, so here's the, I don't know anybody's past. And so if somebody's past is something where one, they already have money. So let's say your net worth is already a hundred K, but you did turn a thousand dollars into 500,000. 
I think somebody with 100K net worth previously is probably more inclined to say, I want to grow that. So they probably take it out into liquid. But for the people who think, you know, number go up, uh, I want number to keep going up. And they're at like, you know, 500 or $1,000 all the way up to 50 to $100,000. You know, if you're young and the money doesn't really matter, then uh, in terms of the risk to reward, like you would much rather be a millionaire than have $100,000. Then the, 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 the trick would be $25,000 into your bank account, $75,000 into trading. That's the DGEN allocation. Make sure you pay your taxes. And after that, 25,000 into your bank account, IRL, that should last you the year. And then the rest into DGEN trading. Uh, but if like, if somebody's pushing, you know, or if you have a kid, if you have a kid, take out 50%. It just depends on your situation. But I think anybody who has turned, you know, let's say a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand into a million, uh, even more, 70% off, take out 700K. And what I call it is this is something that I think this is what I've learned from that previous experience is taking money off the table. So when I say like take it out, I don't mean just put it into USDC. I mean like put it into US dollars, put it in your IRL bank account. And if you need to put in, you know, if Bitcoin and Ethereum one day are at max pain, Bitcoin goes back down to 8K and Ethereum's at, you know, 500. Only then use your IRL money and treat it as such, like as a new investment. But until then, you know, you don't, you don't put in that money. It's an inconvenience because you have to, you know, how are you going to buy 250K to 500K worth of Bitcoin or Coinbase in a day? You're not. So take money off the table completely. And for me personally, like the more money I put in the USDC and the more money I have tethered, I always think I, I wish for a bear market. I'm like, okay, bring it on. Like I've got this amount. Like the last time Bitcoin and Ethereum were at their bottoms, Ethereum was $80 and Bitcoin was $3,300. So to the top, Bitcoin like 25X and Ethereum did like a 50X. So if, if I took off, say I'm the low guy, I took off 25K or I'm the high guy and I took off 500K. The low guy, if you put in, you know, even 10K of that 20K you took off while Ethereum's $80, then you'll have 500K at the top if you just put in 10K. So it's, it's just risk to reward. Everything is a game of risk to reward uh, in, in terms of trading. But uh, yeah, I think that's a good lesson in total of money management if you're up. And also just if you're not up at the moment, uh, I'll have later like discussions and information on how to get up, like get money, get, get in the positive, make gains and risk reward scenarios. But I think that was a good topic coverage of the rest of like money yeah. management. Yeah, Nate, we... I think everyone knows now, especially if you follow yourself on Twitter, um, you're you're a great a great trader, a great NFT trader, great crypto trader, meme coin trader. Uh, but from that, let's let's trans- transition back into actually the Cyberkongs and uh, a little bit. Of, you were talking uh, how you bought your first twenty, you picked them out and really saw the ones that you wanted to buy uh, when they were minting, actually. And and so after you bought your Cyberkongs. What was the community like? What, how, how did everyone uh, react to the Cybercons? I know they they weren't that expensive. It was like 0.01 ETH, right? So, what was that community like in the in the early beginnings? 
Yeah, I mean, the community was what you make of it at the time. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I, maybe some people know this story already, but when CyberCongs released, uh, like they were minted on that OpenSea and I was finding them, there was nothing anywhere. Twitter, CyberCongs didn't exist. Uh, Google, CyberCongs didn't exist. If you actually look up CyberCongs with a Z, it's a sumo, it's like a sumo wrestler. It's his, it's his stage name, CyberCongs. Uh, so that's pretty funny. Should we sponsor him? Uh, maybe <laughs> if he's still, if, if he's still kicking. Yeah. Uh, so I know we got the fight club, but yeah, there was no CyberCongs anything. I actually, uh, I think what had happened was maybe somebody PM DM'd me on Twitter and said, Hey, are you this guy from OpenSea? I want to buy your Kong. And then I found the discord through him, uh, and then found the Twitter page. Uh, but yeah, the community was small. It was, you know, 10, 20, kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. We only had one ch- chat channel, uh, basically. So it was everybody chatting there. Uh, it, it, it was, it was tight knit. A lot of the active faces you see now are from the beginning or, uh, from like what I call expansion phases. We had a influx of people come around August. We had an influx of people around November, more around January. So every like, few months we get a new batch of people come on in uh but yeah it was very tight-knit everybody knew everybody everybody could pick like if you wore a kong as your profile picture uh we we knew who you were on all all media platforms yeah exactly and uh i know you have some stories with coco and mio in the beginning and uh just i think it was right after you said you bought your cyber kongs coco was uh, messaging you a little bit and trying to uh, get some of your your rarest kongs from you. So yeah, Coco slid in the DMs. He, yeah. he hit me up. <laughs> I had I bought a. You were actually with me. I think I bought kongs for or on a call with me. I bought kongs for point zero one. I kept messaging you. I was like, Yo, these things are getting more sales. They're getting more sales. These are silent sleepers. Like you need to get some. The sale lasted for a couple of days, I believe. Uh, and then on the final day, Coco and some other people just kept sweeping. Uh, buying up all the remaining ones. Uh, and then Coco started DMing me like, yo, you got ones I need. <laughs> and uh, he was offering big bucks back then. You know, my first like 0.01 Ethereum buy that somebody was offering me 7 ETH for. Yeah, I, I remember that. And uh, I remember telling you, I was like, if there's this value off the gate, then what what could be the potential of this? It's obviously people see the same value that you found just scrolling OpenSea. Yeah, and the thing is too, uh, with how that works and how that tied back into my crypto trading, I bought these. I was able to deduce what I believe was a fair price for my Kongs, even though the market was non-existent, because uh, punks were around. Punks were about fifteen Ethereum, and I was telling myself, there's a thousand Kongs. These Kongs look incredibly better than punks. Uh, there's 10,000 punks. So, you know, 10x more punks. Punks are 15 Ethereum. My Kong, yes, I did just buy it for 0.01. But if somebody offered me one Ethereum today, I would not accept it. If they offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I sent Twinkle Toes a picture of, uh, one of the offers I got. And I was like, Hey, people finally know its value. Uh, but when people started to DM me, uh, like Coco and others, like, hey, I offer five or seven Ethereum. And it's three days later. I, I was selling rare ones, yes. But at the time, I knew that if I really enjoyed Kongs and I really enjoyed money, then 
because I enjoy both. I like them both. I like Kongs and I like money. I'll sell some Kongs to keep others. I ended up buying 15 and initially over the first, you know, pump, I sold seven or eight of them. Uh, most of them around five or seven ETH. And then uh, a week after sellout, the legendary auctions went up for sale. And so I used some of that money. I used about 16 Ethereum of the money I raised, which is roughly like 50 Ethereum or a hundred and something K. Uh, I used 16 Ethereum of it to buy my Scuba Nate. It was very intense. Uh, this little clip from that. I actually DM'd Coco, like, Coco, hey, I saw you got uh, the Kong number 1000. It was the Sith Lord, the, the completely black legendary one. And I was like, I, I won't bid on, <laughs> I won't bid on the 666 one, which is like his, his, his well-known one, the devil one. I won't bid on the 666 one if you, uh, you know, lay off on this scuba one, please. I need the scuba. And he acted nice. Like Coco's always been a nice guy. He's serious as well. But he basically let me know. He's like, I'm going to win if I want to win any of them. <laughs> he's like, uh, but yes. And I was like, okay, okay. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so that's how I got scuba. Is it, and still, then, your, is it still your favorite legendary? Name. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Scuba, uh, I, no, to be honest, no. Nate, you, uh, you, you have made Scuba iconic, though. I have. For, for a lot of people. I have, and Scuba, and water, and rivers, and stuff like that. But Al has the one that I wanted the most, uh, the night, the yeah, night calm. Yeah. I, when I saw its background moving behind it, and it in like a suit of armor, and I'm just like, that's the one I want. Uh, but scuba Nate was what I wanted, you know, just as much. I just, I, I Al got that for such a good price and I wanted that so bad too. So, so, so how did the auctions work? Was it like one a day for, for 10 days or, or how did it all work? All at once. All of them ended at the exact same time. If you bid, it went 10 more minutes or something like that. And so, you know, that kind of speaks to, uh, Mio, you know, the CyberConics founder, he could have said, cause what he did was he originally set all the prices for the collection in two days, you know, they released for 0.01. And then in nine days or something, all of the legendaries, you know, go for auction at the exact same time. And so they all went for auction. It was a crazy night because everybody who had planned to bid got their money ready. They got into their account. We were all waiting for the auctions to begin. And it was, it was actually incredible. Like you said, there's 10 of them. The first one to go up for sale was number one, uh, or the first auction to close because everyone would kind of, you know, do little touchy touchy bids very low on other ones. But the first one to close was number 1000, the Sith Lord that Coco bought. I think he got it for like 16 Ethereum because nobody would counterbid him. Then the second one to go up to auction, I can't recall, but one of the first three in total was the 666, his devil one. And somebody tried to bid. I think this is how it went down. It went down like Coco started at 14. Somebody bid like 15. And then Coco did something like bid 20 or 25. He just did like an incredible like, hey, like, don't go at it with me on this one. Uh, and then Coco took that one. And But we always said like Mio, if he spread them out across days, he could have gotten himself so much more money. But it speaks to Mio because he just wanted people to have them at an affordable price. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Nate, what was your conviction when, after finding CyberKongs, 
paying 0.01 and then making quite a bit of ETH off of it. I remember at the time you were, you were saying you're going to bid on some legendaries and in that market, it 16 ETH is a lot of money for NFTs. What what kind of was your conviction behind going for those those legendaries? Yeah, also to put it in perspective too, like now looking back 68 ETH doesn't sound like a ton, but back then like I said the punk's floor was 15 ETH and the next most expensive NFT on the market was like a hash mask at uh 1.5 ETH. So people were not paying more than 2 ETH for something. Cybercoms in general was like an anomaly. Uh and so but at the time I was just like I'm going to continue with this community. This community's sick. This is the best NFT project out. Um and I'm going to make a big bet on I, I think at the time even I was like identity. I want to be known as one of the legendaries. I want to be ingrained in this community. Uh and for the most part too, the more research I did on Coco Bear, the more bullish I became on Kongs because I knew two things from crypto and NFTs. From crypto, you can make money with a shitty developer or a person who owns the token as long as they care about bringing profits to their community. Or you can have a good good person running your crypto project who is just going to pump it, but it, it never really works out like that. They have good intentions. Or you have a shitty developer who has a good idea and it's not going to go anywhere because shitty developer, but good idea. And when I saw Mio, I was like, Mio is the combination of everything you want. Fair, generous, creative, nice. Like when he sold out all 1000 Kongs, he raised like, I think I forget the exact number. It was like six ETH or seven ETH or eight ETH, probably about eight ETH. And he donated six ETH of, of it immediately to uh, wildlife foundation or something for, you know, apes, uh, which is unheard of back then. And I was like, all right, Mio's sick. Mio's great. I talked to Mio in chat. Mio's a good dude. We've had little interviews with him. And then Coco Bear comes in and Coco's like sweeping. Coco was one of the first sweepers I ever saw. He was sweeping Kongs. He bought like a hundred Kongs, uh, some of them at 0.01, but most of them from one to, you know, three ETH. Some expensive ones around 10, but most of them, he, he just kept sweeping. And then I learned more about Coco and his Axie past. And I'm like, all right, bet. I'm making a huge bet on this NFT project. Because at the time, I was like, Kongs are going to be worth <clears throat> the same or more than a punk. And so I'm not going to sell another Kong uh, seriously unless I plan on buying lower, unless I can buy a punk. I mean, unless I can uh, buy more Kongs. Do, do you think it's strange now how there was so much conviction in the art at the time, but it's something that doesn't really get talked about and it's quite underappreciated now, um, whereas most focus is on the utility and how that's developed? Or, or do you think it's just a combination of both now? Yeah, it's a combination of both. Coco Bear took us to another level. He told us like the first thing he ever said was, I want to make Kongs what NFT should be. So, you know, cool profile pictures, utility, community, uh, things of that nature. Uh, back then, too, like anybody who like we we were one of the first projects to get derivated. Uh, even I wouldn't say before punks. There were a couple other punk derivatives first, but we were getting heavy derivative. There was uh, Cryptozilla, Crypto, you know, Alligator, Crypto, everything, uh, and and Cyber, whatever you can imagine. But no, no art was anywhere similar to Kong's. Uh, 
even to this day, like there's few art that I think is as is even comparable than Kong's because what it comes down to is you look at these apes known as Kong's and they're unique. You know what it is. You'll never be mistaken. Uh, you know, same thing kind of for bored apes. You'll never be mistaken. But at the end of the day, you could hire a trillion people to draw up the same pictures that people are drawing up now. Like I like Azuki. I like all these other projects. Uh, and I think the Azuki art is cool. I, I really do. But when you look at it, it's like, you know, the derivatives of Zuki's are so much better than the actual NFTs. Like some of their community makes insane derivatives. Uh, and so, when I, but when I look at Kongs, I'm like, I've never seen a real derivative of Kongs that looks as good as Kongs. Uh, and our, and, you know, uh, I, I read the, there was a board eight pitch deck that leaked recently. Uh, a while back, and I they they denounced that you know that's an official one, but I do believe that they would have released something similar to that. And in it, they claim to be the first project to have a roadmap and the first project to do a lot of things. When in reality, it was Kong's. Uh, Kong's was, from what I saw, and I still believe today, the first NFT roadmap. Uh, one day, you know, Mio and Coco just released like this little picture. You can still find it today. And it's got three bananas. One of the bananas is, you know, yellow. A, I mean, or, you know, it's ripe. It's ready to eat. The other two are green. And it's just the three checks of what we're going to do in the future. Uh, and that was the original NFT roadmap I ever saw. And so Kongs have, you know, utility. We, we've been paving the way. Uh, and as profile pictures, I still think Kong stand as the best. I do think we need to do something about the bibs on babies, but, uh, <laughs> cause, cause I just think that we need more people to want to rock the babies. I think the bibs were a good idea, but they need to go. <laughs> they just, they just gotta go. I don't think Mia would be happy hearing that. Yeah. You, you have some agreement and some disagreement for that, for sure. Uh, but just to transition again is uh, one of the highlights you were talking about is the community of CyberKongs. And in that community, one of the greatest things that's come out of our Discord is really the Wall Street Kongs. And I know we've talked about it before, but there's uh, some history behind that where it wasn't really supposed to be the alpha, ch- alpha channel that you uh, we see today. Uh, so can you give us a little insight of how that started? Yeah. So like I said, if I made a big calculated bet on cyber Kongs back in the day. And so I spent my entire days in that discord. Uh, and as being the, the trader that I was in the past and currently still was at the time, uh, let me actually set the stage a tiny bit more. Kongs had already gone to five or seven ETH. They dipped back down to like two or three. We had a lot of events like Coco sweeping. Uh, but we were entering in the, one of the first that I noticed NFT lull periods where people weren't sweeping, people were looking for liquidity, people had, you know, their favorite NFT and then just a tiny bit of capital. Like most people had about like one Ethereum max on the side. Uh, if, if they were, you know, looking to buy or sell something. Uh, and so I was in the monkey business channel, like, Hey, I'm buying this shit coin or I'm buying this token, like, uh, keep an eye out for it. Or I do a little charting and, uh, 
Coco and Mia were like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if it's a good, if it's a good, if it's good, if newcomers think that we run a pump and dump or something. And so they created Wall Street Kongs for me. And back during the first NFT lull period, there also, I believe there, there was not a requirement to get into Wall Street Kongs. And so what we were doing was a lot like the, the challenge was flip to a Jenny. We'd have a lot of people with $100 to $500. We'd jump into a shitcoin during shitcoin season. And at the time, a Genesis was pretty cheap, like 0.8 Ethereum. Uh, 0.8 Ethereum or 1 Ethereum. Ethereum was like $2,500. So it was $2,500 to get a Kong. So all we needed to do was flip someone's $500 and $2,500. And we do it all the time. <laughs> Like literally every day or every other day, we would hit like a 2x, 3x, 5x, or we'd ride a quick like little 50% dip on some some meme coins, or some guy would, you know, hear about our channel, come in with an alpha call, and we'd all make a bunch of money off of it. Uh, and that's kind of, it, it, or sometimes we'd lose money, but the goal was nobody was spending an incredible amount. We knew that we were trying to gamble. We knew that we were doing educated gambling with each other, 500 into twenty five hundred dollars, uh, I I forget I forget what I, we had, we had a term for something to Jenny, but that was always our goal to get a Genesis column for for newcomers who didn't have one or current babies because at the time a baby was only roughly a hundred dollars maybe eighty dollars yeah a baby was around like eighty dollars or something uh, no not not eighty a baby was. Yeah, actually, my math is correct, like $100. <laughs> so we were getting babies jennies. Uh, a lot of people back then, like Milk Cat and some other people, would hop on it and get in. And, you know, one day you'd see them buy Genesis off the floor. And you'd be like, hey, good job. Congratulations. That's sick. I'm pretty envious hearing about those days, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think about kind of how it's all evolved, the current state of Kongs, and, and where do you see the future in kind of a saturated market where, I mean, the competition's getting getting quite high? Where do you see Kongs going forward? Uh, it depends. Uh, always bullish Kongs. I think it really depends on the community staying and the community participating, which I see is happening now. Uh, because... The new problem that Kongs and any similar project will face is, you know, I see a future where Clonex has 100,000 avatars. I see a future where Board Ape Yacht Club has 200,000. World of Women has 100,000. All of these p the collections are going to keep doing are creating new slots for members at different various price points. And so they'll become incredibly loud. Uh, and it'll be hard to get a word out into the, into the masses when you've got so many people talking about other stuff. Uh, I think from what I've seen and what I believe, Tongs will combat this in a similar way, but, uh, not creating a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand profile picture, unique identity collection pieces for their collection, but onboarding new members and making them feel meaning, meaningfully attached. Uh, because I, I personally don't want to be a, like, you know, I'm not, I will not identify as a board ape. I won't identify as a clone X. I'll identify as a Kong because I've been to, you know, uh, 
Sorry, I'm trying to think of the event that was in Miami. Art, ba- Art Basel, I think it was, right? Yeah, Art, Art Basel or whatever. Uh, I've been to Art Basel in Miami where we've got 30 Jennies on a boat or 30 Jennies on a yacht or 50 Jennies partying, 50 Jennies, Genesis Kongs, and babies in a mansion partying. And I think to myself, gosh, I would not want to be in a collection of 100,000 or a collection of even 30,000 where at these events, all these people like, if, if this party of 50 that I'm talking about, I like this mansion, if it was a board Ape Yacht Club one and the wrong person gets the word of it, you know, no shame on them for telling all these board apes in Discord that we have a spot, but expect 5,000 people to show up at your party. Uh, it's just incredible. Like, if you want to feel like you know the people that you're hanging out with, if you want to feel like you can make meaningful connections, I think you can make that in Board Ape Yacht Club and these other what will soon to be ginormous collections. But I think it'll be a better bet just to make a financial bet on those projects than to participate to the level that you can within Kongs. Because within Kongs, if you spend a couple months in Discord, you can make like very serious connections. You can get a feel for who's who, what goes on. Uh, and so I think Kongs should keep some of the exclu- uh, exclu- exclusivity uh, that they have. And I think that's how they'll stand up as well as utility. I think a lot of what's going on with playing collect is going over people's heads and understandably so. What were your thoughts on playing collect? Bullish. I'm glad it existed. Our previous previous mission was sandbox and maybe it still is. But with what's going on, it's like with the uncertainty and I've always had this concern, like even when we released CyberCong's Voxels, VX, we released them with the intent of Sandbox in a way and Sandbox was infinitely far away. So playing Collect definitely fills a void. And initially I thought its only purpose was to fill the void. But the more I play playing Collect, the more I participate and understand what's going on the more I realize exactly what playing collect is and what its purpose is. Um, so yeah, I think playing collect, uh, I, I'm bullish playing collect. I do think that it needs more attention in a mass way. So a lot of people right now are missing out on what I would call a low entry uh, into the ecosystem, into playing collect, into all that stuff. Uh, I just don't think there's enough information available outside of the Kong's ecosystem to spread the word uh, because there's a lot of people who, like even creeps, if you're in creeps, uh, you hold creeps Genesis. I would rather hold VX Kongs and play our game than do creeps for twice the amount at the moment. I, th- I think what we're seeing right now is uh, it's a very experimental uh, playing collectives and the more you play it, the more you realize how groundbreaking this is. It's I mean, the other day you just uh, you told me you got a couple of Gen Loot capsules and you were so excited and and you got an NFT voucher and this is, this is really going to pave that way in the future of the most fair and equal distribution uh, when you're going to mint new collections, especially in the Kong space. And uh, one of the cool things that actually Al just dropped today was that Guardian uh, contract. I don't know if you saw that, Nate, but now you can basically use your hot wallet, but at the same time use the protection of your hardware wallet, whether it's a treasure or a ledger or whatever, whatever you might have. And I know that that's something we've talked about where if you're using a treasure and you have to uh, 
c- complete every transaction and it's a little tedious. Uh, Al has really changed that. And I, I wonder if that's helping you at all or if, if, if when you try it out, it'll help you. Yeah. I mean, for, for certain, that's actually something the other day I was thinking about is that like, I don't play playing collector, keep my VXs on my, uh, treasure because of the tedious clicking it would be to redeem all of the fuel, fuel rods. And so I'm glad that now there's an extra security measure for when I'm playing on my, uh, you know, just my MetaMask. I know that there's an extra security level. I've got a lot of VXs. And so now I feel way more secure. And, I, and it's just big brain thinking. The CyberConks team is embedded in what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Uh, and they know our concerns just as soon as we do. So yeah, uh, super big brains. You know, these people, CyberCongs will continue to be copied. Uh, I do think that like the whole, the project as a whole is evolving, which is important because some of these other projects, there's so many projects out right now that don't know why they exist. Like, I don't mean to talk shit, but like, Mention something like cool cats. Okay. Cool cats. I like cool cats. I like cool cat holders. I like everything about cool cats. It's a cool concept, but there's a reason that they're still at eight Ethereum or nine Ethereum floor at the moment comparatively or why they've never been able to break out like doodles. Uh, and it's because of the vision of what's, what they are, what they do. Like, yes, we're cool. We're cute cats. Yes, we do cute things. Yes, we have this game and these little versions of ourselves but like what is cool cat is cool cat like a future brand is cool cat like going to be a household name is cool cat going to have a show what's cool cat like well what's next like it's not exactly you know clear or profitable at the moment what's mentioned uh as we're with board api club like they have so many ways that they could take this in terms of branding as long as they stick to branding i think this whole sandbox metaverse thing for them uh, is an extreme risk that they don't have to take. I don't think Board Ape Yacht Club has to do this metaverse. I don't think Board Ape Yacht Club should do this metaverse. I think, I think though, what we're finding out though is that Board Ape Yacht Club and Yuga Labs are going to at some point become different things. Uh, Board Ape Yacht Club is owned by Yuga Labs. Yuga Labs also owns the other side, which is going to be like the other part of it. Yuga Labs also owns CryptoPunk. So it's going to be like this giant, you know, monopoly or whatever you call it, where they just want to create the best thing of every segment. Um, but like the, the, it, it feels like we're going backwards a little bit when that happens though, because Yuga is now going to find them in this place where, you know, if I knew that Mio, our founder, was doing so many things, juggling so much that he actually wasn't giving any input at all. It was just another team of people doing it. You know, I feel like we're going back to like the corporate structure, like Web2 stuff, where we're buying and selling from the same people. We're being influenced by the same companies, which we are. Like they got Guy Oseri and some other people working with them. Like they're going to, you know, we're, we're leaving the Web3 world. And as much people like say it is Web3 still, it feels like, and I think some of the original holders and some of like the masses of Bordy Biakla have voiced this, like it feels like it isn't Yuga anymore. Like the recent merch drop from Bordy Biakla, that was everything you see in like a hot topic. Like none of that was the 
Yuga designs th- from the previous Board Ape Yacht Club merch drops. Like I wouldn't, I had the option to buy the stuff. I just didn't want to buy stuff I don't think I'd put on. Uh, I could flip it, but at the same time, I just don't, I did not feel influenced to purchase any of that. And it looks like same thing with their pitch deck. They're just having a bunch of other people do their stuff. And at some point they're going to have so much food on their, so much food on their plate that they have to like, just leave the table and let other people eat. Yeah. And so that, that's one of the things where it was kind of disappointing in a way to see Yuga actually acquire uh, CryptoPunks and MeBits. Cause that was one of the last actual NFT projects, I guess you could say in this space that's web three based, not really ran in that corporate structure where it, it's kind of sad to see, but I think Kongs is really one of the only ones filling that void. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know, but there's really no one on the payroll of Kongs. It's literally community led. Everyone is doing this because they love Kongs. There's, there's no pay structure. There's never been really a cash grab. The VX sale was at like what 0.07 and they, they could have done that a lot higher to uh, get more money, but we, we really don't need that money. And I, th- I think with the acquired or the acquisition of CryptoPunks and MeBits, it kind of left Kongs in like this, this sole space of where they're like really that NFT Web3 community, in my opinion. And there's a few others, but really from the beginning, that's what we've been. Nate, if, if you were a CryptoPunk holder, what would your emotions be towards Dude, the acquisition? It's this is one of like, all right, so like this is almost feels like a glitch in the matrix in a way because. It is something that, like, if I was hanging out with you before it happened and we mentioned, like, oh, because at the time, like, the sentiment for uh, Larva Labs was not high. Like, Larva Labs had had a bunch of drama with uh, signing on with some giant talent agency, not giving their holders any rights to their punks. And then when V1 punks or whatever you call them released, the founders dumped the ones they had. They had a thousand of the 10,000 V1 punks. They dumped a lot of the ones they had and then said, Hey, we're going to take these off of OpenSea now. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is, uh, as great as the idea of Larva Labs was as an owner of CryptoPunks, as a steward, they were terrible. Like, honestly, the most, you don't have to love your founders, but you have to trust that you can understand them. Uh, in any capacity, and nobody could understand them. With the MeBits drop, they raised like a ton of money. I, I I wanted to give a number right there. Actually, I think the number was wrong. I think they raised you know thirty million dollars, which back then was way more. Like they did a two point five Ethereum dollar uh, Dutch auction, while Kong's floor was point zero eight I mean point eight ETH. So yeah, it was just incredible. Uh, and they had no plans of reinvesting that. They had no plans of reinvesting that $30 million. They never had plans of reinvesting that $30 million. And then they went to Christie's auction and sold their alien punk for $10 million and other punks. Uh, all these dudes know is how to sell the stuff they make and not talk to the community. Like their job, they could go on vacation for three months, make a Twitter post and go back to vacation for three months. And that would be like business as usual. Uh, they weren't fit to run that. And I always said it. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to be like, oh, you know, Nate's right. But like, I'd always said that these dudes don't care about CryptoPunks. They created it, it. And the thing is, they're not evil. What happened is they make this project. 
these degens take over on it. Like you can never expect at the time that 10,000 of these terrible looking punks, like the hoodies look good, but the rest just look like weird stick figures as profile pictures. Uh, you can't like say that these guys created 10,000 of these off an algorithm, you know, way back in the day that probably took them like three days to make in total. Uh, they never expected the floor to at one point reach 130 Ethereum, which was $500,000. They probably thought people were going to buy and sell these for $4, $3 for fun. They even made them back in the day when gas for a, you know, a transaction was like a dollar. Uh, so they were never fit to, to run it. And punks, I believe the punk holders should be so much more bullish in my opinion, uh, because, uh, they had, there was a, there, there still is a punk 4156 on Twitter. He was a monkey punk. He owned one of the apes and a bunch of others. He actually sold over, I believe, $20 million worth of punks that he had bought for way less because the founders of Larva Labs would not DM him back or reach out to him. He tried to reach out to them for months. They would never reply to anything. They never once did. He is obviously somebody who in the real world, you know, already came from a large stack. Like he's a majority holder in Tesla, stuff like that. And the founders couldn't take the time or find the way to reply to any of his messages at all. And so, and he's, this is also the founder of Nouns or one of the main founders of Nouns. Uh, and so he, he sold all of his punks. Had he held them and Yugo is now behind the wheel of Larva Labs, I mean, not Larva Labs, CryptoPunks, maybe he'd still be holding now because he could reach out and the founders would DM back. Like, I've DM'd the founders of Board Ape Yacht Club and they reply uh, in the same day. Like, that's incredible compared to <laughs> Larva Labs. So it's, it's, it's bullish for Larva Lab holders. It's bullish for MeBit holders because now maybe somebody will put thought into MeBits. Like, Larva Labs even said that when they created MeBits, they hoped the community would take over on it. Like, dude, if you hope the community is going to take over on it, don't charge 2.5 Ethereum each. And the way they launched it, they know that they tried to like make it as hush-hush, there was no leak, as hush-hush as possible, and just drop it on everybody so they FOMO, which they did. Uh, so yeah, it's, bull it's bullish for, I think, punk holders now. Uh, it's it's a weird spot for Yuga holders. Honestly, if I was a board ape, I don't know if I would have wanted punks. That's a big responsibility now. That's a lot of money. They did they the way that they acquired punks was so boss. It was such a boss way to do it. Like they bought all of Larva Labs punks too, which was not a small amount, and all of their Mebits, which was like a thousand or something crazy. Uh so they spent just so much money on acquiring it. But I don't know. All in all, it doesn't feel real. Uh, but I'm glad to see, I hope, I hope and pray that they, Larva Labs signed a whatever that says that they will not create another profile picture project. I hope that was part of like the agreement. Nate, do you, do you see CyberKongs as really one of those last Web3 NFT projects then? Or are there any other that stick out in your mind? From, from, from that time, yeah. Uh, from that time, yeah. But I would also throw new names into the mix now. I would throw small brains. I would throw anonymize. I would throw kaiju kings in a way. Uh, kaiju kings to me though feels like when, when we mention anonymize, when we mention kaiju kings, when we mention even small brains, I just think of Kongs. Like I think these are Kong derivatives. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in a way. In a way. Yeah. Kaiju at the time, I remember when 
we got some whitelist spots and they were really big in uh, Wall Street Kongs was really just a derivative of Kongs but and the Kaiju Kings, but all credit to them, they're a great community. So and, but the, the even the profile picture was indicative of like other derivatives back in the day, like Cryptozillas and stuff like that. Like they looked like a derivative of Kong. They just released at a later date. Yeah, uh, it, it, we still need to remember that Kongs is is a derivative derivative as well. So, in its own I, sense, I, but I, I honestly no, I would say Kongs was the most unique uh, of it, all of them because yeah. Kongs, everybody was doing it wrong in my opinion. Uh, like we had hash masks doing drawn NFTs, which are cool. Like Board Ape kind of brought back the drawn uh, meta, but you know. The only thing I'd call Kong's a derivative of is pixels, just pixel art. Uh, you know, not even, I would just say it was inspired by pixel art. Uh, yeah, but I think Mio even said that he took some inspiration, especially from the crypto punks. Yeah. Maybe some of the traits, yeah. but he, he gave his yeah. own spin on it is what he really Yeah. Did. He for sure gave his own traits, but he, the reason I wouldn't call it derivative is because of the amount of stuff that he did that others weren't doing. Like, he gave them traits, but back then, CryptoPunks, if you, I don't know if you've noticed, they all have the same background. Mio was one of the first to add background colors, different background colors, uh, to different, you know, profile pictures. Back then, everyone was just doing plain background. Uh, as well as, you know, a full bodied pixel art monkey. Uh, cause I, I'll even say again, like, people weren't really doing animals. They're like, why would you want to be an animal when you could just be a crypto punk, which is a person? Uh, you know, we're persons, we're not monkeys. So I would, say, but there were ape punks. So I will say, you know, maybe we took some, some inspiration, but also 10 legendaries. Uh, there was, there was no collections with legendaries at the time like that. And they were animated. Uh, Mio just did so much perfect that makes makes me so much more bullish Kongs saying that they're not a derivative. Like even, you know, I, I hope at this point there's still people listening, but I hope that they don't take offense to this. Like Board Ape Yacht Club is an actual derivative of Kongs. Like when you break it down, almost all of their mouth traits are exact copies of Kongs. Uh, and you can go put them side by side even to like the pixel. Like if you were to just say to an artist, draw this in a drawn way, not a pixel, it's, it's Kongs. Uh, a large majority of their head traits are Kongs. A large majority of their influence traits are Kongs. They, their, their infamous space, space suit is just, you know, we, we had our space legendary. We had our devil legendary and they put in horns. We put on X eyes. So stitched up eyes. They put up stitched on eyes. Like, they took a large majority of our traits, but not even only our traits. They took our, our, our mission, our vision. Uh, uh, at the time, like people knew that babies were coming. So they knew that we were going to do some sort, sort of breeding. So when Board Ape launched, they launched with, you know, on their whatever type of roadmap they had at the time, that they would get the mutant uh, arcade fixed. And so the mutant arcade, what we assumed was going to be basically just a copy on our babies, more to the collection, breeding. Uh, but, you know, when you break it down, what they really do and what they did, it's pretty much just follow our mission. Uh, we, we were one of the first to release a token. They released a token. Uh, 
Yeah, that, I that's, think, that's a hot subject there, actually. I remember at the time, uh, they gave Cybercoms, Cybercoms a lot of flack for releasing a token. Oh, is it illegal? Is it this or that? And at the time, they said uh, they'd probably never do that, or if they did it, they'd... Uh, I can't remember exactly, but we got a lot of a lot of a lot of flack for that. Yeah, so. a lot of their a lot of their holders too said uh, said the same thing. Like, you know, this sounds like uh, like when banana was going to a hundred dollars, people are like, you know, this is whatever. It could get sued and vanish one day, or etc. And then when mutants release, everyone's like, hey, you go, why no token? Where's our token? Like what? <laughs> Uh, and when when mutants released, everybody expected Token to release too, and they're it, it's the same community that just said, you know, this Cyberkong's token's not going to last, etc. Uh, but you know, I love the ape holders. Like, I have nothing against them. And what I've come to learn over time is that they might like the holders don't even know about Kong's. The, not not all holders, but some of the holders aren't aware of what Kong's is and does and its history. And they don't realize that they're actually invested in a derivative of us. Uh, and that's what I've always called Board Ape Club because they're not just a derivative of us, and this is where they're smart. They're a derivative of Kongs meets Yuga Labs. So with Yuga Labs and CryptoPunks, there's 10,000 punks, there's 10,000 apes. With Mebits, there's 20,000 Mebits, there's 20,000 mutants. And with Mebits, they gave 10,000 to their holders, and 10,000 Mebits to their uh, punk holders and 10,000 went to Dutch Auction. With Yuga Labs and their mutants, they give 10,000 to the apes and they went 10,000 to auction. So all they did was just say, hey, what's working? Let's copy it. And this is where it kind of gets scary with their future. Yes, their price reflects their ambition, but at, at the moment, it's kind of scary because who are you copying now? Like, Yes, copying Sandbox, trying to take their land. Yes, copying Axie Infinity with their new like creatures that they're going to create, the other side creatures. But what happens next? Can you be everything at once? Is that possible? Uh, and so it is, it's unfamiliar territory for them. I, I hope that they can keep stewarding the way because the more attention that they bring to the space, the more money we get in the space and the more people who once they start to get bored uh, with other projects will find out about Kongs and how interesting we are. Uh, Nay, if you, if you think they've emulated, and I don't disagree with you, if you had to pinpoint one exact reason why they're where they are now, um, what do you think it would be? One exact reason? Timing, 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 timing. Coco, first thing he said... Can you hear me still? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Coco, one of the first things he said, uh, and we had an OG channel on Discord, uh, or one of the first things he tried to bring up to the community's attention was, hey, there's only 1,000 Kongs. Uh, it might halt our growth in the future because, you know, it's not like we're going to keep finding people who can pay more and more. We need more Kongs. Uh, and that's why babies came to be. We wanted more members. So we added 5,000 babies slowly over time. Um, but, the exactly when board apes dropped, how they dropped, and the attention they received was unmatched. And this is why, like, even with Azuki, like, yeah, Azuki might go up. Even with Doodles, yeah, Doodles might go up. But nobody will ever pass board apes, in my opinion, because of the type of audience they garnered. What happened was, you know, Dingling was not in the NFT world at the time. Uh, Pranksy was. Pranksy, for a little bit of background knowledge on Pranksy, 
Pranksy was big top shot fa- uh, face. A lot of top shot people, people trading top shot followed Pranksy. Uh, and a lot of people who were involved in top shot were down horrendously. Like not like you, like maybe they had gone up. Like a lot of people, there was a lot of stories of a hundred dollars to now you're worth 30,000. But at that time when Board Apes dropped, if you had 30,000 at the peak, you now have 3,000. So all these people were down. They knew that Top Shot wasn't going to be the move because they kept releasing new packs over inflation. And Pranksy swept. Pranksy swept. Coco Bear swept. A bunch of OG Jimmy. Jimmy.eth swept. All in the same night. Yuga had had their... I mean, Board Apes had had their uh, mint open for weeks, I believe. They were on their second week. And all one night, I think Jimmy swept and Pranksy swept and then... Once they released, you had Dingling sweep and he was sweep. He destroyed the board eight floor from, you know, 0.3 ETH all the way up to 0.5, which was so high at the time. Like that was so much. It was such a big baller move. He swept like a hundred or something and he already had a lot of followers. Pranksy already had a lot of followers. And then what you saw was all of these loud, competitive sports, top shot, gambling, you know, Zed racing, People with loud voices and a lot of conviction and are down bad and want to be up big start to buy board apes. Uh, and so what they got was the loudest community, uh, and the most excitement at the time. What you had was like all these NBA players had, you know, they, they were like, Oh, top shot. That sounds cool. They were actually buying and selling top shot moments. And so they knew of dingling. They knew of pranksy because these are two big faces of the top shot community. And so what you'd have is like LaMelo Ball would come into the Board Ape Discord and hype everyone up. You had Steph Curry uh, before the Mutants Mint come in, buy it, buy a Board Ape and say what's up and rep it as his profile picture. You had all of these people that the community idolized come and join and say, hey guys, what you're doing is cool. We love the apes. Like Des Bryant, he's always wrapped a cheetah ape with a, a crown on. Uh, you know, I can keep going of the people who were coming in that were in sports. Uh, and so you had this clash of just pure excitement all the time because of all this stuff. Uh, even with the dogs, when the board eight dogs launched, people were like, Oh, you know, this is sick. They, they airdropped us this thing. They weren't telling it was, it was happening. These dogs are cool. Uh, and so that's kind of like where I would say, you know, why I'd say that they can't be like for Azuki, who's the equivalent to your Steph Curry? Like, does that exist? Because even if he does exist, that person probably already bought a board ape. You've already got so many people sold on, sold on the board apes. Uh, and it, it was just the perfect storm. Beeple was at his peak. Beeple had just sold a piece for 69 million or something crazy like that or 60 million, which was incredible at the time. Still is incredible. It's never not going to be incredible. And he was drawing funny, like little snippets of, you know, me bits versus board apes, because at the time, board apes were about to flip me bits. Uh, me bits were like two ETH and board apes were like 1.5. And he was making these cool, like drawings of them clashing. And there was just so much attention going towards them. And the precedent before then was, you know, as founders, all you had to look at was Larva Labs and those guys didn't exist. So people were excited about nothing. And now you have four founders who all seem pretty cool 
who are all in the community, who are all active. And so people were just like, this is the perfect storm of everything. Yeah, I think, yeah, you touch on an important notion there and it's influence. And this is one of the most interesting conversations I wanted to personally have with you as someone that has influence in the space. Like you've kind of decided to be the vigilante in the role within NFTs, whereas most influencers have probably engaged in some mendacious antics. But what what kind of is it like having a large Twitter following? Is, is, it, is there pressure or how do you kind of deal with things? Yeah, so I mean, I've always followed, like, I mean, tried to garner attention, uh, you know, in my entire life, just garner attention and stay true and be somebody that I'd want to, you know, be cool with. Like, I hate seeing a Twitter post or I've, I've always been on Twitter. I've always been on Reddit. I hate seeing posts of people acting like something they're not. Or sometimes like now you'll go on people's Twitter profile pictures and it might be like an 18 year old and nothing against age. It might be an 18 year old or a 22 year old kid or even, you know, someone older. And they're acting like they've accomplished a ton. Like their bio will say, you know, you know, angel investor or they'll say something like founder of this, founder of that. And in reality, or uh, my favorite is uh, advisor, advisor for these projects. Like I get to be asked to be an advisor all the time, and I'm like, dude, you are not an advisor. You have like, yes, you are a perfect advisor for this project because they want attention. But if you're actually doing any advising on this project, like you'll have no input. Uh, same with like a lot of people. Like, yes, you might be worth a million dollars now, but you got most of your money handed to you. It wasn't trading. It wasn't making the money. It was asking for it and getting it from helping others sell out their projects. Like back in the day, it was Art Chick and Beanie always trying to sell out stuff and getting secret under the under the table payments. And a bunch of other people came out of the woodwork. Uh, but I've always been like, yo, like real deal here. Like I'll make my own money. I don't need the few thousand dollars for a retweet or however much people want to pay for me to be an advisor or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, if you all go broke, I don't want you to look at me and say, you know, Hey, remember like, especially like with Beanie now, like he can never let down blue, like on everything he makes financial posts, somebody in the comment will mention blue. Uh, and I've just, I've never wanted to financially ruin somebody or influence them to make decisions that would lose them money. And I feel like I have a responsibility being here in the ICO season. Like people are, you know, the, I, the, I'm not, I don't want to call them dumb. They're uneducated. They're uneducated to the past. They're un, uneducated to history. A lot of like these utilities or these things launching, it's ICO season all over again. Like, Oh, let's release an NFT project where we all own fractional parts of like this restaurant or this golf course or this island or this, you know, whatever it may be. That's already been happened. Like, or let's raise money for an educational program that will educate people on how to get into NFTs and crypto. Let's raise, let's raise $3 million. Like, how are you actually going to do that? How are you going to compete with Coinbase where Coinbase actually pays people? to read their educational content. Like you can't compete. Uh, it's the same thing back in the day in ICO season. Let's make on-chain, uh, you know, car tracking Carfax. You can't make on-chain Carfax because it's going to cost a shit ton of money. Uh, 
there's it's just so many. I have an idea. Let's raise money for it. Oh, I burned through the money, or I burned through a portion of it. I'm going to take the rest out, put it in my bank account, and slow rug. Uh, there's just so much of that going on. And then also, these people don't like people in the NFT space are great. The traders, the holders, the community, they're all great. They don't understand how many not so great people exist in this world and the type of social manipulation they can do. Like, I always told myself if I wasn't like an honest, like, influencer, an honest person, or if I didn't believe in karma, that I would, you know, be worth tens and tens of millions of dollars because I would have scammed all those board apes. All of their apes would be mine. Uh, because I know I can get in your DMs on Discord. I know I can buddy up to you. I know I can send you a link that you shouldn't click and I'm going to trust you some. I'm going to get you to trust me somehow. And yeah, you're going to press allow. You're going to press allow whatever it asks because it's me. I'm your buddy. Uh, and that's what we see going on. We just see a bunch of people falling for ICOs, falling for click scams, falling for trust trades, falling for everything. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. And so I've chosen, uh, there, there's an old saying or verbiage or adage or whatever you call it where everybody's got two wolves inside of them. You've got, and I'm, I'm dumbing it down completely. There's two wolves. One is the just wolf and one is the, you know, wolf that goes out and creates, you know, it, it damages people. The, the, the bad wolf is cunning, uh, elusive, manipulative. The good wolf is honest and, uh, has integrity, uh, does the right thing, helps others. But the old like adage is, or whatever is, you know, you, every day you choose which wolf to feed with every action that you make. Uh, but you can't starve one of the, one or the other. If you starve the good one, uh, and it dies, then all you're stuck with is the bad. You'll go out, you'll always be causing damage. Uh, but if you starve the bad one and you're just the good, you'll go out there, you know, believing everything, trusting everyone, doing right by others all the time, but never looking out for yourself. So if you feed both of them properly, uh, where, you know, you take the smart, you know, cunningness of the bad, the, the, the black wolf and you take the, you know, the, the bad wolf is, uh, influential. The black, bad wolf, you know, it doesn't go out killing people, but it can trick them. It can steal from them. Uh, so it has a lot of skills. And so I like to feed both, but I like to feed the gold, gold, good wolf a lot more by calling out shitty things rather than participating in them. And I, I like to think that I also feed the black wolf as well by, you know, when I call out these projects, you know, I have to be, uh, sure of myself. I can't, you know, I, I know every time I call out a project or every time I try to save people money, there's people who are already holding a bag or people who are already invested. Maybe they have a whitelist. Maybe they've already bought some on the secondary. Uh, and they're always going to come and they're always going to say like, why are you fighting my bags? Like, this is baseless, but the people who were midway making a decision will say, wow, I was thinking about buying this, uh, and I'm glad I didn't. Uh, and I, time and time again, I get messages weeks later or a week later or months later, either saying like, hey, you saved me so much money or hey, you made me so much money. Yeah, I, I've been following you for a while and I've seen you get quite a lot of backlash from certain communities when you call out a project, but you seem to pretty much get most calls right when you call it a rug or a dishonest project um i mean like how it's just inkling or just being in the space for a while dude and this is why i feed the good wolf and do this is because ico season i believe the founders every time Mm. uh until you know they never started delivering 
they would have these great missions. They would be these nice people. They would have these fake backgrounds. Like some ICO projects would hire fake founders with or or, or uh, hire them on contract for like months. Uh, and so there's so much manipulate manipulation, dis, uh, deceitfulness, just so much going on that the average person cannot be aware of. You just cannot be aware of all what's happening. So I've learned all these things. I'm pretty not deceitful person myself, but I like to, I, I, I know how to think in multiple ways. And so I like to, when I see a project, I like to go through and I like to say, one, how much are they trying to raise? Two, who is the person behind it or the team? And then three, do they have long-term stability? And no, never. No, like most all of them, no. The only person recently who actually convinced me that they might be able to do something is Suzuki. I've always been on the edge though because of the initial mint price, but at the same time, they followed through with what they say they're going to do. But a lot of these projects, like it's it's easy to call, but people want to make money in a bull market. So like, uh, what was, what, what was, what's I, that I think, Doodles I think one? one? Nate, one of the most uh, recently that I can remember is that uh, one that Bradley Martin was an advisor on. I forget, it was like Buff Apes or something. Yeah, and, and you yeah. called it out right before, and you said this is going to happen, and then it basically was a slow rug. And I remember Bradley Martin responding to you on Twitter. He says, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And you're like, "You knew what you were talking about." And then it, it was just so funny—not funny because a lot of people lost some money, but that yeah, basically, it, it, basically everything Brad- you said was correct. Yeah, Bradley Martin's a big influential bodybuilder influencer in LA. Uh, and he's a smart dude, biz- businessman, et cetera, et cetera. What happened to Bradley is, and I saw it happen, like everything. I call it play for play because, you know, it's information. It's taking information and using it. So for that one, it's these 16-year-old, 17-year-old kids on YouTube who have, you know, they, they actually do rent the Lambo. They don't have money. They play Fortnite on Twitch. And stuff of that nature. And they look like maybe they go to the gym a couple times a week. Uh, and they were trying to create an NFT where it's a giant, you know, gym bro, uh, jacked ape club NFT where, you know, we're, we're going to buy these gyms. We're going to run this, et cetera. We're going to become this community online. We flew out to LA. We got Bradley Martin on board, but here's the issue. You don't know what they're telling Bradley. You don't know like what, what's being discussed. Like Bradley should have known, like maybe to them. They sold Bradley on the idea that it was just a community. We're an online community. But the community thought that we're going to have a bunch of physical locations. But how are you going to have physical locations by just raising 1.5 mil? Like you cannot create that type of brand with 1.5 mil. What you can do though is spread 1.5 mil out amongst four very young founders with no money and make them very rich. And the founders too of this project if you look at their uh, Twitter profile pictures, I mean, not profile pictures, their Twitter accounts, they got blue checks, they're Twitch streamers, and all they do every single day, multiple times a day, is uh, make new giveaways for projects that in, in turn pay them $2,000 or something. They'll like do the like, follow, retweet this project. It's super cool. It's the next one up. Uh, and all of them were shitty projects that all rugged. Uh, and so these, it, it just made so little sense that if any, if, if Bradley or anybody around Bradley looked into these at all or knew how to look, they would know exactly what would happen. And these people were also being deceitful by bringing on advisors like Franklin and Morgan and some other people by asking them if they'd like to hear more. And then if they say yes, they say, okay, these are our advisors. These are board apes being our advisors. 
And what ended up happening was exactly what I thought would happen. Uh, two of the four founders decided once they went to mint that they, they did not mint out initially. Like they sold like 50% of the supply. You know, they couldn't get the rest to sell out and they actually ultimately closed the mint. And then Bradley got super bullish on them. People were buying them. They caught back up. They should have just kept the mint open. But what happened was they only raised like a million dollars. And so two of the founders basically said to the other two founders, you guys didn't do your jobs. We're taking the money by. Uh, what had turned out to happen though was Bradley Martin did sign a contract with them saying that like, you know, they're legally obligated to, uh, do the things they said they were going to do. And one of them was, uh, use the money towards the gym apparently or something of that nature. He got them to split the money equally and put some back into the community, but ultimately the project drugs. But like, that's just something where, you know, if, and I called it out and I was, maybe I should have been more, you know, precise when talking to Bradley. I should have maybe even DM'd him. Uh, cause he was like, what the fuck are you talking about on Twitter? Cause he doesn't understand the levels to this stuff. And, and not a lot of people do. I got an IRL friend who got, and this is where it makes me kind of upset for him. He spent 0.1 Ethereum on a new project and it was basically just a derivative of punks, crypto punks. The project didn't even give him an NFT. It just said like, sorry, or ha ha ha, or something like that. And I'm like, dude, like, I consider you smart. Like, how did this happen? Yeah. Uh, I think even in the case for Jack Dape, uh, the Jack Dapes or whatever they're called, is maybe they're not, a, maybe 99% of them are like, yes, we're actually going to do this. But if you have one bad apple, that can really just tarnish the whole project. So they might not even go in it thinking it's a slow rug and not realize the responsibility you take on with these projects, but ultimately, no, no, ultimately I, yeah, go ahead. No, they, they know what they're doing. See, this is what happens is they know this. Can we, or this, they ask themselves this, can we sell this out? And if the answer is yes, then they say, this is how much I'll make. And so what happens is with that too, like I knew it would not sell out as many as they were trying to sell uh, for the price point they were trying to sell them at. Uh, and so what happened is they didn't, they didn't sell it as many as they could. And now they ask, okay, well, what the fuck? Like, you know, I don't feel as motivated by receiving 200 K as I do from receiving half a mil, like give me the rest of my money. Uh, it's, and they expected massive secondary volume sales too, and to get the fees. And so now these guys are like, oh shit, this is all we're getting from it. This is all we're milking from it. And then people get sour. And these all, everybody who's involved, who's going to get paid already tells themselves how much money they're going to get. It's the same thing for like the BT orbs recently where the artist is like, oh, I never thought that, you know, starting a Dutch auction at 11 Ethereum and ending it at eight Ethereum was a bad thing. Like, dude, you're asking people to pay 30 to $35,000, which is not a small amount of money. Uh, for your piece of music and there's 3,000 of them. And at the end of the day, you start out looking at it saying, Oh, if I sell all these out, I'll have $70 million. But at the end of the day, you know, the greed got to him. And I know, you know, he played the nice guy for a long time. I'm not going to get into it, but at the end of the day, he was a greedy person, a greedy artist who thought that he was going to walk away with tens of millions of dollars and it ended up selling out for $2 million. And I'm pretty sure he had to pay back some of the crypto 888 holder passes. So I don't know if he walked away with as much, but it's just greed. It's just noticing when people are like, Hey, I can extract a large amount of value. Like same thing for me. Like 
I've always told myself, like, I can make a collection, I can make an alpha channel, I can make anything, and I could take out like a millions of dollars and people would believe in Nate and people would invest in Nate. But at the end of the day, I don't want your money. I want you to have your money. I want you to make your money into more money. Uh, and a lot of people aren't in a position right now where they can say that they, that, that, that you know, maybe, maybe some people like the BT guy I mentioned, he's a well-renowned producer. Maybe he's worth like a million dollars. Maybe he's worth five million, but maybe he's got these friends that are worth 10 to 50 and he's jealous of the life they're living. And so he works on this NFT for months and months and sets a goal of trying to raise, you know, however much he can to now be at the same level of, you know, wealth as his friends. And it fails because the goal was always how much money can I raise? Not what can I do for others? Uh, to, to so that's kind of like the story of Nate. To play devil's advocate though, if at the end of the day, there's some, some talk about art is art. And if someone's willing to spend 11 ETH and that's, Really not on BT or anyone in that project. It might be on that person who apparently wants to spend eleven ETH on whatever he's he's putting out there. Yeah, and 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 that's why I get exhausted sometimes. Like when Enzo, like you mentioned, you know, what? Why do you do this? Like sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't do it, but I don't choose to do the bad thing. I just choose to do nothing because I get exhausted because I go through like these BT things where a lot of people do like to play devil's advocate. Advocate. They're like, oh, you know. It, it, people will pay. And that's exactly what BT said. You know, if people think it's worth this, they'll pay it. Okay. Well, BT removed the floor. It started at 11 Ethereum and he removed it actually. So it didn't stop at eight Ethereum. It would go to zero. Uh, if art is art and people pay what they're going to pay, then why did he stop the mint at 0.8 Ethereum? Once it hit 0.8 Ethereum, he turned off the mint and said he couldn't see, he couldn't bear to see them go that low. Like, you know, it kind of, yeah. it's like, it's one of those things where I'm playing detective and I have an idea, but I don't have proof. And then he brings me the proof later on through doing that. Like, dude, you're selling it for 0.8. You're still selling it for 3000 or $2,500. And then it's also one of those things like, I, I don't mean to keep talking about how, like how much of a detective I am. And like, you know, there's other people on Twitter who do this even better, but I understand manipulation and the way that the orbs were released was very manipulative because I'll just break it down very simple. There are 2,500 orbs. Or actually, I think, no, there's 3,300 orbs. 3,300. 800 of them were to go to Crypto 888 pass holders. So his inner circle pass. What you had to do was burn three passes to get an orb. At the time, passes were about two Ethereum. So to burn three passes would cost you six Ethereum. And so what they were hoping was they let the pass holders do it first. So the pass holders burn their passes. They get their 800, kind of like a whitelist. And then they don't want to list it for less than they just burned. So you just burned six Ethereum. Why would you list it at four? Uh, and so what they planned to do was, you know, boom, you spend your six Ethereum. We start our public auction at 11 Ethereum. It, maybe it wakes, it makes its way down to eight. But at that point, you know, if people paid six by burning three passes, then they'll list higher than six. And so they tried to create this mental safety net. It's, it's uh, kind of, it's kind of like manipulating the price though, in a sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. smart manipulation. Well, it's also for, for forcing people to DCA. Like if you bought it at six and now you're worried 
And for some reason they're at two Ethereum and you didn't sell. Now you're like, shoot, I should buy a second at two Ethereum because if they go back up to four Ethereum, I'll be break even. Uh, it, it, it was funny because really the only people that you, when you looked at your, your comments, a lot of the only negative ones were from those uh, 888 holders who yeah. unfortunately got uh, pushed and not pushed, but they decided on ultimately on their own to buy it at those high prices. Um, yeah, well, well, they chose not to listen with an open mind to the counterpoints. They they thought, you know, in their mind, this is cool. Like, and I don't blame them because the crypto eight 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 pass holders hadn't gotten any utility in a long time. They hadn't gotten real whitelists, and so I think what they were hoping was we'll burn three of our passes for six Ethereum, and then we'll sell this technical white space whitelist for like ten Ethereum, kind of like how you know the invisible friends. But uh, it just didn't it didn't work out, and it's also even more manipulative too because they didn't sell that out until they started the Dutch auction, remove the floor, and the floor went down to like four Ethereum, and now all of these pass holders have spent four Ethereum, and they're watching people in the Dutch auction buy it for even less. They're watching them buy it for three, two, one Ethereum. Uh, I can imagine how they're feeling. Yeah. So yeah, there's just so much manipulation, and like. And the artist, like an artist in the counterpoint, the devil's advocate was like, well, if people are willing to pay 11 Ethereum, then let them. Uh, and, you know, the response to that is, okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll let someone do that. But what if I know for a fact it's going to drop to, you know, three Ethereum? Do I like, it, like what? You're buying something unrevealed too. So you don't even know if it's a floor. Uh, and so I'd hate to watch these people lose, you know, seven Ethereum. Plus the ten percent uh, trade fee, which would be another Ethereum, eight Ethereum, yeah, in yeah. the course of like days. And Nate, to, I guess this kind of leads into the next kind of subject is really your overall thoughts on the NFT market. And there was someone who tweeted the other day in the Kongs uh, community about how he actually thinks people are starting to get a little bit smarter, and we're not minting the same things that we were minting just a couple months ago, and the market's really matured and. So I was wondering what your take overall on the NFT market and what 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 that looks like going forward. Uh, less opportunities to turn the hundred and the thousand dollars into million, because uh, people are getting educated. I think a lot of people are wising up. Uh, they're not minting the trash that they were, but they can still be socially manipulated. I think. Uh, but all in all, I'm just buying Kongs and a couple other things. I'm only investing in teams not projects. So I don't know the Azuki team. I'm pretty sure they're like, I don't know who those people are. I'm not going to take a random guess. I don't, I don't like the clone X team. I'll buy some clone X to flip, but I think the uh, art artifact founders and the team are very childish and I, I don't think they're professional. So I don't buy clone X. I'll buy it for a flip. I, uh, I just, I look for teams now because I don't want to be disappointed. Same thing with pudgy penguins. Never bought Pudgy Penguins because I did not like Cole Ethereum. Uh, and, you know, Pudgy Penguins went from like five Ethereum or whatever all the way down to like 0.5. Didn't they just uh, go on a run now, though? Yeah, because a new somebody took over the project. Yeah. A new Nate, founder. Nate, I'm just conscious of, of time. So if we if we go with one final question, you, you spoke about the $500 to 50000 and then you spoke about how you lost them. Do you think we see that? Kind of in the NFT yeah. space. I mean, a, a JPEG's worth sixty-five thousand dollars. How does the market sentiment like look in terms of just pure valuation and realistic valuation? 
All right, so two two really quick things on it, just because uh, that's a good question to end it on too. Uh, we have two scenarios going forward. Do you think Ethereum is underpriced? Do you think it's undervalued? Tesla's a trillion dollar market cap. Ethereum's 300, uh, 300 bill. So at a 3x, Ethereum would be worth the same as Tesla and it'd be a trillion dollar market cap and it'd be $10,000. Uh, I think Ethereum's worth $10,000. I think it's worth Tesla. I think they're equivalent. Uh, you know, Teslas are the fuel of the, road in the electric world and Ethereum is the fuel of the crypto market. Uh, so yeah, I think Ethereum's worth $10,000. That being said, do I think people are going to lose a ton of money on NFTs? I don't know because if, if, if Ethereum goes to $10,000, your Ethereum that this is the most depressing thing for a lot of people who are going to have to realize this in, in a hard way. Your NFT that you hold right now, it's worth one Ethereum. That's, that's an okay price, you know, $3,200. But in the future, when Ethereum's $10,000, so 3x from here, and your NFT is 0.5 Ethereum, you're not down 50%. You're, you know, you're now holding something that instead of was previously worth 3,000, it's now worth 5,000. Even though it was originally bought at one Ethereum and now it's worth 0.5, you're still up. But if you had sold your NFT earlier for one Ethereum and held that, you would now have $10,000 instead of 5000 I think we're going to see that happen. I, th- I think people who sell board Apes right now at like 110 Ethereum are going to do better than people in the future because they'll have right now 110 Ethereum. Ethereum goes to 10K. They'll have 1.1 mil. Yeah, if, and that's assuming that they're actually going to keep it in Ethereum. It's, it's, I think we've all realized it's kind of hard to keep your, your Ethereum just set in that, yeah, or it's, but it's, that's the, that, that's that's why it'll be the most profitable choice is just to hold the Ethereum, yeah, not to buy an NFT. Because if you're bullish Ethereum and you're bullish NFTs, you know, honestly, don't buy an NFT, just hold your Ethereum, uh, long term, unless you're a good trader. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, this is the more depressing future is what if we're, we're about to peak? What if Ethereum and Bitcoin are at the top, you know? That would be depressing because it's very, even though Bitcoin went to like 70K, it's still very underwhelming compared to like previous tops and previous bull markets. But at the same time, what if it is? And what if the new bottom for Ethereum is $800, which most people are like, that's so low. But at the time, we all thought $80 Ethereum from 1500 was so low. So what if the new bottom is, let's actually be more realistic. We're in a bear market. Ethereum's 500 which is still good compared to the previous bottom. Uh, Ethereum is $500. And yeah, right now your JPEG's worth 0.2, but imagine it's worth 0.2 and Ethereum's 500. So if Ethereum is $500 and is worth 0.2, your NFT is worth $100. Yeah. If yes. you have it now and Ethereum's worth 0.2, your NFT's worth 700. Uh, so yeah, that, those are the two futures I see. I do see the likelihood of NFT uh, Ethereum run to 10K more likely first. Uh, and I really, if I would not suggest anybody have any really long-term bets in NFTs aside from CyberKongs. I mean, aside from things I hold, obviously pump my bags, but uh, I think holding a CyberKong will yield you stuff that you can sell on the way up and stuff that you can trade for value on the way up that will kind of offset that loss in either direction. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of unknowns right now, and 
no one really knows where we're going. But uh, I, I think I think the main takeaway is look at everything in the in, in the in the eyes of U.S. dollars and not of Ethereum. Uh, like if Board Apes would not be 110 Ethereum right now, or Kongs would have never went to 200 Ethereum if it was priced in U.S. dollars. Because at 200 Ethereum, when Kongs went to that price, or actually 210, that was 800 and something thousand dollars. Uh, you know, a lot of people would have listed their Kongs if they saw that rather than opposed to 200 Ethereum. Uh, so same thing with apes. Like you can get, like people spend money on luxury stuff like luxury cars or a bunch of cars and they'll spend hundreds of thousands, but you're not going to have somebody spend $1.1 million for a, something that's a collection of 10,000. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, we really, we really appreciate all the time you've given us today. We're almost at like an hour and 40 minutes, but, uh, oh, just, just, just want to finish this up actually with our, our rapid fire question segment and these just short questions to get you, get to know you a little bit better. And the first one is, uh, what is, who's your favorite follow on Twitter actually? Uh, I have a lot of favorite follows, but Jimmy maybe, because every time Jimmy calls something on Twitter, I buy it and it goes up. <laughs> yeah, okay. What is our, your favorite CyberCons NFT? It could be 3D, 2D, uh, even in the new Plane Collect, maybe the hoodies or the, the weapons. So, uh, Maybe either the new VX Ice Kong or the new VX uh, Stone Kong. Yeah, the, the Ice one is really sick. And, of course, it had to be the last one that, that was found. Um, yeah. And then w- what is your favorite emoji to use in Discord? Uh, I, I find myself always... Uh, wanting to put on Twitter the, the emojis that we use in Discord, but you can you can't do that right now. Hopefully, Elon changes that. But yeah, I mean any anything Pepe, uh, anything Pepe, Pepe, hmm, Pepe, <laughs> whatever. If anybody here is a Pepe or you know what a Pepe hmm is, or Pat Nut, Pat Nut or Pepe hmm. Yeah, Pat, Pat Nut's some, definitely legendary. Some yeah. good answers there. But Nate, I, I found that really, really interesting and I appreciate your time. Thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for you know speaking with me for an hour and 50 minutes. Uh, usually I can only keep people on the phone for like five. <laughs> Thank you, Nate. <laughs> no, no problem. Right, right, peace out. Ooh, 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 ooh. Sorry.